Hi there. Welcome to the final show of Secrets of Lego Universe. It's been a great run, and we thank you all for listening. Since 1934, the LEGO motto has been, only the best is good enough. What began as a small toy company in Billund, Denmark, has now become the third largest toy manufacturer in the world. In 2010 alone, the LEGO group produced more than 36 billion elements, that's nearly 1,200 elements a second. As the LEGO company headed into the 21st century, they were eager to extend the fun of the physical brick into the virtual domain. With programs like LEGO Digital Designer, LEGO Factory, and LEGO Design by Me, fans of the brick everywhere were now able to create and design their own custom LEGO sets. In the world of gaming, LEGO had launched several popular video games. Still, the vision of something bigger, something closer to the genuine LEGO building experience, was yet to come to the digital world. It's really sort of taking the notion of what happens in the children's bedroom when they play and build these huge buildings and worlds and, and, and all of those things that you can see when you watch the children, what's going on in their mind. This is a one, one chance of, of creating that same thing, but actually making it come alive because it's actually happening just virtually. As early as 2003, the idea of LEGO Universe had begun to materialize. With a group of eager visionaries leading the way, an alliance with Denver-based gaming company NetDevil was formed in May of 2006. Several kids were brought in for building, testing, brainstorming and collaborating. Adult LEGO fans soon joined the scene, bringing their virtual building expertise and the worlds, models and themes they had created to inspire the LEGO team. The landscape for creativity was wide open and the LEGO group began to explore the possibilities this new universe could offer. When LEGO Universe was starting to come together, the LEGO group expanded their child testing to Germany and conducted a series of hands-on evaluations. The results, however, were unexpected. The game development team soon faced the hard reality that older kids, particularly ages 10 and up, wanted more out of an online game than the original concept of a flat playground lined with various LEGO themes. After a meeting with John Burton of TT Games, LEGO Universe creative director Ryan Seabury finally had his eureka moment, which led him to formulate the bulk of the backstory to LEGO Universe. Four explorers are scouring the galaxy looking for this mysterious source of pure imagination called the Imagination Nexus. They find it, 
But something goes wrong when they find it, and they end up corrupting it, and it turns into the Maelstrom, which is a dark, chaotic force of destructive energy. It shatters the original world that they found it on, so now these world chunks are all over the place. And uh, they basically summon all the rest of the minifigures from all walks of life across the universe to come help protect the last remaining bits of the pure imagination and restore it to its former glory. And so that's kind of the overarching uh, epic story of the universe where everybody can come in and help play a part in saving the universe. So it's just super exciting to see it all actually come together. The pieces were starting to snap together with the concept of pure imagination floating planet worlds, competing factions, and the mission against the Maelstrom nemesis, LEGO Universe was well on its way to becoming an engaging MMOG for all players. As artists and designers put the finishing touches on the game, programmers and testers ensured that LEGO Universe would work with a wide variety of computer configurations. The score was written by Hollywood composer Brian Tyler, and even Sir Patrick Stewart agreed to participate as voiceover Let's talent. imagine how your story begins. Nearly 115 employees worked tirelessly around the clock to ensure a successful and trouble-free launch. Because of the eight-hour time difference, when the LEGO team in Denmark ended their workday, the Denver staff was just arriving at their desks. The game was shown at over 40 conventions, trade shows, and family and fan events worldwide. Kids everywhere expressed their excitement, and the LEGO Universe booth became a popular spot at gaming conventions. With the launch date set for October 2010, a four-year gaming development project was about to finally make its real-world debut. The LEGO Group celebrated the launch at a live event. Both Denmark and Denver counted down to launch time, and watch the numbers pile up as enthusiastic subscribers and players joined forces online. Unfortunately, as the game progressed and the LEGO group monitored its success, it became clear that the number of online subscribers were lacking. Despite the excitement over the game, kids were slow to join. Still, those dedicated to the possibilities within the game brought their own creations to life in their own spaces called properties. Many of these impressive online creations won in-game contests and made it into the LEGO Universe Hall of Fame. In February of 2011, the LEGO Group entered negotiations with Gazillion Entertainment, who had acquired NetDevil back in 2008. It had become apparent that the strategic direction of Gazillion had shifted from the interests of LEGO Universe, and after careful evaluations, the LEGO Group finally acquired the full rights to operate the game. With the development team under their wing, the LEGO Group continued progress on the vision of LEGO Universe. When a free-to-play zone was eventually launched in August of 2011, the number of players in the game quickly jumped to one and a half million and continued growing to well over two million players. It was an impressive milestone, but in the end, not enough players decided to become paid members. As the first massively multiplayer online game created for LEGO fans of all ages all over the world, LEGO Universe was certainly an ambitious project. It was made by some of the most creative minds in the gaming industry and driven by an amazing amount of passion. It shot for the stars and reached planets, but in the end, a shifting gaming industry, along with a lack of paid subscribers, forced the heartbreaking decision to officially close LEGO Universe at the end of January 2012. To all the great kids who loan their imagination to the realm of LEGO Universe, 
we thank you for joining us on this great adventure and sticking with us to the end. Many players have expressed their sadness in thousands of comments left on the LEGO Universe message boards. Many of them have also shared with us their favorite memories. We hope you'll always remember all of the good times of LEGO Universe. So that is that video is called the history of Lego Universe. And off on another note of the on this final show of Lego Universe, when we went to Playwell Studios in Colorado, thanks to the Lego Universe team, we were privileged to get some interviews with some people of the team. And you can see those interviews at the channel on YouTube. LU Secrets podcast, and we have some videos there. And now we are going. We're gonna kind of do interview intervals of the interviews, <laughs> but let's play one now. This is the interview with Figmentia, recorded live at Playwell Studios. Hey, this is Secrets of Lego Universe podcast live from Colorado, and I'm here with Annie Kang, aka Figmentia. Hello. So, why aren't you in the universe? I am, but I'm not in the same one that you guys are in. I'm actually on a special alternate universe of sorts. Um, it's the one that we use to test out all the future content that's coming out, because a big portion of my job is actually to write about all the new things that are coming out, so that you guys can be like, "Oh my gosh, that's so exciting!" And I want to keep you guys interested, so I have I, I go in there and I play around and I see, and I, I ask myself. What would be interesting to them? Is this something that they would like? Is this, you know, is something else more exciting? So I go there, I check it out, and then I write, 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 write. I, I write almost like all the time. And when I, when I finish all of that, and I've gone on the message boards, I've talked to all of you and stuff, uh, and we do lots of other things. Where like, oh, I'll get into that later. Uh, but when I've gotten all of that done, then I can go in game and chat with you. But there are times when I do hop into Overbuild or Storm really quickly, and that's just because I'm, I'm really busy, so I have to just go in and out and check something out, and I really don't like ignoring anyone, so I'll just go into my GM invisible mode. And when I have more time, if, like you know, if I have like an hour to just kind of say, "Hey, what's up?" and just talk to everyone, then I'll go into my you know regular orange suit because I, I like orange. <laughs> Cool. So where are you when you aren't making posts or you're in the dev server? When I'm not making posts or in the dev server? Uh, well, actually, I am on the message boards quite a bit. And the thing is that I'm, I am, I'm not always available to answer every post, but I do read them all. And what I do is I collect all the data on the forums and on the message boards, and we, you know, we use them in the studio here. What are the top issues? What are the things that everyone really likes? You know, is there any like urgent thing that we need to take care of right away? Like, oh my gosh, are there missing models? And you know, those kind of things are really important. So I'm always on the message boards. I try to respond as often as I can, but like I said, sometimes it's just like I have to read it and just take action right away. So where do you get the ideas for contests? From my brain. 
Yay! What about roleplay posts? Oh, um, I wish I could do more of that, but I don't have, like, so much time to do it. But, um, if you're talking about, like, just the articles where we're kind of, like, talking, like, overbuild or, you know, okay, those kinds of things. Yeah, from my brain. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I just, I kind of try to think about the personalities of each of the faction leaders and, you know, like, Overbuild is very quirky. I kind of think of him as a mad scientist. And um, I just try to think, like, what would, what would he think? What would he, you know, what would he say? And a lot of the times, I'll take a lot of risks or something, and I'll be like, I'm not sure if this works, but I'm going to write it. And, and then I'll send it off to Jordan, who you talked to earlier, because he's the design director, so he has final say over all the voices. So he'll, he'll come back to me and say, well, you know, this isn't actually working for Vanda, or you're going to need to, like, change this a bit. And so I'll go back and rewrite it. And, and that's why I'm writing so much, because, you know, like, a lot of it is kind of uncharted territory. So I have to try it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, then I try it again. Very cool. So you told me that you like to go to Lego conventions all over the place. Why is that? Because it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> I mean... It's just, it's so great. You can see so many mods. You get to meet all the, the fans. And, oh my gosh, at Brick Fair I met, like, Brick Maze and someone who had the best character name, which was Deep Fried Brick. And it's just, you know, it's it never gets old to see the excitement, you know, in a kid or even an adult when they're playing the Lego Universe. It's just it's so exciting. All right, that's very cool. So is there anything you want to say to the community that reads your posts and everything? Um, thank you for reading my posts, and um, I really, I really, truly love all of you. I, I know that sounds really sappy, but I, I really do, and I wish I had more time to, to talk and get to know each one of you personally, but um, I hope you keep playing LEGO Universe, and I hope you keep having the love for LEGO. All right, thank you so much. All right, thank you LEGO Universe, letting in. So that was Figmentia. Thank you so much. And we will have a short intermission before getting on to our next topic. Too long ago, PC Gamer did an interview with graphics game designer Mike Rayhawk. Yeah, hopefully some of you have read this already and taken a look at the art, uh, because some of his art is in this post, and uh, I'm sure Morgan will put a link to it in the show notes. But we wanted to share it with you uh, for those of you who maybe haven't read it or are not old enough to read yet. And this is a glimpse into what LEGO Universe could have been. And the article goes on to say, On the eve of LEGO Universe's closure, 
we sit down with one of the game's concept artists, Mike Rayhawk, who shows off some of the game's gorgeous concept art. Along the way, we ask him questions about the game's development process, what it was like to build, and why he was so excited about where the game was going before it was shut down. If nothing else, enjoy the awesome LEGO artwork and click on any of them to view higher-res versions, which they are gorgeous. And this is from Mike. Ninjago is themed heavily on the five classical elements everyone remembers from childhood, namely earth, fire, ice, lightning, and ninjas. In the caves, we really wanted to push earth's elemental qualities, same as we were trying to do for fire in the fire realm images. I was looking at a lot of cathedral interiors and lost temples for reference, trying to capture that sense of gravity and antiquity. We used an awful lot of caves in previous worlds before the Ninjago expansion to divide up the game zones, but they were kept pretty generic. We wanted to keep players focused on the next set piece or challenge rather than giving them reasons to hang around in the transitional spaces. Ninjago was the first time the caves themselves got to take center stage. And this is PC Gamer. Was there ever a point in development that you designed something deemed too scary or gruesome for the game's target audience? And uh, Mr. Rayhawk says, It's funny you're asking about these images in particular, because they're kind of the images he's talking about look like a fiery volcano area. Since these are the toned-down versions, the blue skies were a concession I had to make for the younger audience. Originally, they were nothing but rolling flame and cinders. At least one version had a god like Ryan Seabury, our creative director at the time, towering over the horizon and hurling fireballs down from on high in a similar relationship to what I imagine exists in real life between most toys and their humans. I was always pushing to make the look of the game more epic and more scary because I wanted to give some real weight to the struggles of those boxy rainbow-colored plastic figures. In general, I was more successful selling everybody on the epic than on the scary, especially after the kids in the forum started admonishing us for going a little too grimdark with the Nexus Prime update. Nexus Prime and the, Sp and the Spider Boss battle in particular, I thought were visually scarier than any of the Fire Realm concepts, with or without the wrathful Seabury looming overhead. And PC Gamer says, Was it a nice change to be able to focus entirely on lava and the elements? And Rayhawk says, To a degree, but Fire Worlds have been done to death, and at the time, weren't quite far enough along with ours to figure out anything novel to really set it apart yet. PC Gamer says, If not Fire, what's your favorite change that Ninjago's new settings brought to the game? And Rayhawk says, all of our content in the first year was, was organized around a kind of theme park aesthetic. Especially for the younger players, we wanted to present them the greatest variety of things to do in the shortest amount of time. As a result, the level designs and quest chains ended up being kind of schizophrenic, kind of schizophrenically random in places. You'd have a friendly platforming race followed by a lethal boss battle followed by a gift of free topiary in a tutorial on how to rearrange it. The lack of any forward urgency was nice in that it gave the kids the freedom to bounce around between all the different areas and activities, but it made it tough to sell the epic Defeat the Maelstrom feeling. Ninjago was where I think we turned the corner. We built up enough theme park material to satisfy the younger kids' need for early game accessibility and breadth of content, and now we could finally dig in and make the world's longer visual and narrative arcs to satisfy players more in the upper half of the target age group. 
PC Gamer says, I love the skeletons. I just got owned eyes in this one. He's talking about this picture. What enemies are the most fun to draw in the LEGO universe? And Rayhawk says, dragons. It's not even a contest. Their graphic form allows them to be way more visually expressive than anything else in the game. Just imagine that same scene, but with a bunch of dragons making the I just got owned face in place of skeletons, and you'll see what I mean. That being said, I really enjoyed using any excuse to do drawings of the skeletal horse samurai. I'd paint up all these awful, overwrought monstrosities of flapping rags and swirling ectoplasm that had my team lead tearing his hair out because they were completely unusable. PC Gamer says, with four different styles of ninja, which one are the mo- which one are you the most like and why? Greyhawk says, normally I identify more with the skeletons, only appearing in the story in order to make the actual heroes look better. But if I had to pick one of the good guys, I'd definitely take after the fire ninja, who always see who always seems to be doing the opposite of whatever he's supposed to. NPC Gamer asks, what inspired this artwork, which is a picture of the underhand going after a red ninja? I can't remember if someone handed me the written concept for the underhand to draw up, or if I just happened to have already built a bunch of skeleton hands at my desk when we decided we needed some more Ninjago skeleton enemies. It's possible that I drew some subconscious inspiration from the graveyard scene in Army of Darkness. PC Gamer says, If you had to estimate, how many creature concepts in total do you think were drawn by the entire team for LU? Rayhawk says, I couldn't even guess. Between the enemy monsters, the friendly animal NPCs, the tameable creatures, the assembly heroes, summons, the accessory pets that would ride on your shoulder or in your backpack, not to mention all the rideable steeds and the animals you could transform into, coming up in the castle update, hundreds and hundreds for sure. And those are just the ones that got approved and made it into the game. For a while, we had a line of tables in the back of the office that were just covered with the brick-built models for all the creatures in the game. We used to hand them out as swag. I got a small menagerie sitting in front of my computer screen even now. PC Gamer says, This looks like a concept design symbolizing the player properties. Should be about letting players show their personality. Was that your goal with this artwork and with the player property feature? Rayhawk says, For a big chunk of our target age group, especially for boys, expressing personality takes a far distant backseat to showing off. Property is all about having the coolest stuff and having the most of it, and preferably with lasers mounted on every exposed surface. This picture was part of an effort to get everybody on the dev team to buy into that impulse and really go crazy with it because we wanted to get everybody pushing the limits of what could be done with properties. PC Gamer says, What's the best thing you ever saw built on a player property? And Rayhawk says, I probably didn't explore player properties as much as I should have, but there were a lot of good ones getting passed around the office. There was a multi-level robot factory I was really impressed by. The player had used the in-game behavior scripting to automate conveyor belts and assembly lines with half-built robots rolling around. There were some other kids who set up their properties with quests that let you take over a space fighter and take part in dogfights, or to man the cannons and defend a port town from the marauding pirate ship with full barrages and a ship-sinking automation. There was one where the guy had built this massive, elaborate model of the Capitol building, a convincing rotunda dome is tough to build in Lego bricks, which became a personal favorite 
when he went on to add a giant seven-story tall minifigure attacking it with a chainsaw. PC Gamer says, What was the flat-out craziest thing you saw the players build? Rayhawk said, There was a lot of crazy properties full of rainbow-colored mishmashes that towered into the sky, but the one that stands out in my mind was the one that was just a hundred-foot-tall toilet monument. What was funny was that it seemed like the place was always packed. At any hour of the day or night, there were a dozen minifigures standing around the rim of the bowl engaged, engaged in serious giant toilet appreciation before jumping in. PC Gamer says, On your personal site, you list this piece of artwork as Capture the Princess PvP. Can you go into a bit of detail about how that was supposed to work? Rayhawk said, We always had Capture the Flag PvP in the internal build of the game from some of the very earliest pre-beta versions. Besides the usual Capture the Flag run and gun, a lot of the strategy... A lot of the strategy revolved around managing your minifigure's imagination supply. You spend your points defensively to seal up breaches in your own wall, or tactically to construct bouncers and shortcuts that let you outmaneuver the enemy, or offensively on siege weapons to open new holes in his defenses. Do you sacrifice valuable time harvesting mobs for, the, for more imagination, or do you rush straight into battle? Capture the princess was just a castle-themed reskin of the CTF game we were already playing, except with princesses instead of flags, because who gets excited about flags? PC Gamer says, That sounds amazing and fairly complex as far as capture the flag mods go, the siege combat, etc. Was this going to be the best minigame yet? Greyhawk said, It would have been good, but there was some other stuff in the works that I thought was going to be even better. I shouldn't get too specific in case LEGO is planning on reusing the ideas in some other context. But speaking of siege combat, we had this castle versus castle we had this castle versus castle game in the pipeline, with minifigures on each side running around in a rush to architect new castle sections faster than the other side could build siege engines to destroy them. There was also a new free-roaming race mode on the way that was super fun, with cars tearing back and forth across treacherous terrain in a frantic race of vehicular maelstrom whack-a-mole. PC Gamer says, Players could race against each other before, but the game rarely pit players directly against each other. Was there a concern about forcing players to fight each other? Rayhawk said, This is going to sound weird, but my best understanding is that the obstacle wasn't in letting players fight each other, it was in letting them form teams. LEGO is extremely sensitive about the safety of kids' online interaction the point that implementing even the most basic social functions, like in-game chat or friends lists, became these kind of monumental tragic struggles that swallowed system designers whole. A lot of our PvP games had to be backburnered while we were waiting for the final word about how the team functionality would work, or whether we would be allowed to have it at all. Lego's dedication to child safety superseded all concerns of production schedule or profitability, which was, print, was a, which was a principal move on LEGO's part, but it made some seemingly straightforward parts of development really, really tricky. PC Gamer says, You tease on your site about how cool the in-game development Castle World was and mention new game mods and features attached to its release. Can you talk about those at all? Rayhawk said, The ability to form teams and jump into construction-heavy PvP compact 
combat modes was definitely the big game changer in my mind. There was plenty of other stuff going on in addition to that. The new steeds and animal transformations, letting players transform into animals, allowed for a very different style of landscape. The ability to cover a lot of ground in a hurry let us make the castle countryside into a giant sandbox world rather than the linear strings of fairly discrete zones we've been limiting ourselves to earlier. There were new item crafting systems ready to go, and there was some talk about giving players the ability to start farms on their properties and harvest resources. So in addition to the really interesting new PvP, there was also a huge delivery of functionality that graduated the game up from kids' MMO standards to more like what you'd expect from a full-featured MMO. PC Gamer says, How many different themes, worlds like this did the dev teams have kicking around internally for future updates? And Rayhawk says, Shifting away from our early eclectic theme park worlds to the larger epic-driven worlds like Ninjago meant that we had to bring a lot more comprehensive focus to each of the worlds under development. At the end, we were limiting ourselves to two new worlds under active development at a time, although there was certainly no lack of further LEGO play themes waiting in the back catalog. PC Gamer says, What was one of the upcoming... What was the one upcoming piece of LEGO Universe that you are most sad will never see the light of day? And Rayhawk says, Custom creations in PvP. It's the one thing I was most looking forward to since the day I joined the project, but that we never quite managed to implement. I was really impatient to be able to tune my race car's performance with different accessories and eventually weapons, or to bring different homemade catapults into a castle siege and see which designs were the most effective in different situations or to set loose custom-built autonomous robots to battle enemies or each other. A race car tuning, at least, seemed to have always been, oh, seemed to always be perpetually right around the corner. LEGO already has a pretty good history of racing games that have done this very well. PC Gamer says, Is this just a general theme, or for some future content in particular? Talking about this, uh, a picture that has uh, the faction leaders and uh, kind of of a montage. Rayhawk says, Using on the game in general was the biggest part of my job description when I first joined the project. I didn't start getting specific deadlines on any regular basis until the game was nearing launch and it was time to ramp up on release-specific marketing. This painting rose out of general mus musings like a lot of others, but I was roughly timing it to coincide with the release where players finally got to meet these faction leaders from the game's opening cinematic. PC Gamer says, is this just a general faction artwork or something in particular? Rayhawk responds, in early builds of the game environments, we had a lot of random posters slapped all over the walls of the building. For a while, I was exploring the idea of cooking up inspirational Nexus Force recruiting posters starring some of the faction's secondary heroes. This picture is of Epsilon Starcracker and his post guarding a pass in the opening section of Avant Gardens, perpetually ready to gun down any Maelstrom enemies who wander too close. We ended up abandoning in-game posters to go with a cleaner, bricks-only aesthetic, but I ended up finishing the painting later on anyway, and it ended up being one of my favorite pieces. PC Gamer asks, what was your favorite faction to play? As, or to play as and or draw. 
Sentinel Heroes reliably got the most action-oriented scenes to paint, although I had a soft spot for Dr. Overbent and his robot arms. When it came to playing, though, I always had the most fun with the Paradox characters and their ability to dish out indiscriminate destruction. I imagine each one of them laughing maniacally from the minute they finish brushing their teeth in the morning to the moment they put on their footy pajamas at night. PC Gamer says, Thanks for walking us through your artwork. We have a few general game questions left, if you don't mind. With the game's closing imminent and your 2020 hindsight, if you could change one thing about the Ninjago expansion, what would it be? Rayhawk said, We have a plan, we, or we had a plan for Ninjago to let players design their own ninja obstacle courses. In the animated movies and physical playsets, the monastery is full of all these deadly spinning training machinery, so we had created a system that gave players a palette of these death traps to work with and the ability to arrange them around a monastery hall with different behaviors attached to challenge and confound any ninjas to happen to wander by. We had some really interesting we had some really interesting series of mechanisms designed. If there was one thing I could have changed about the Ninjago expansion, it would have been to keep the game open for another year so that we could have opened up the make-your-own-death-trap areas and gotten to see what players built with them. PC Gamer asks, what would you change about the game as a whole if you could? Rayhawk says, my, my job was a lot more about thinking about marketing rather than content, so my changes would all have been to the delivery model. If I could go back in time and dictate release policy, LEGO Universe would have been free-to-play from the start, available by download only, with immediate in-browser character creation to keep players engaged during the download and supported by microtransactions rather than a last-generation subscription model. The single most painful obstacle was that it was very, very difficult to explain to non-gamer parents why they had to keep paying money every month for a game they'd already purchased in physical form. The gamer asks, Why do you think the game is closing? Greyhawk said, It's funny because, by a lot of objective measures, it's been extremely successful. Stable service, fantastic public opinion, once we add in the content, a healthy base of free players, over 2 million, Lego just publicized, and a growing base of paying players who were dedicated and deeply invested in the game. We had a seasoned and motivated dev team and a parent company with financial stability to ride out those first couple of years that every MMO needs to gain traction and reach profitability. From a product standpoint, we were in a great position and lots of companies would have killed for our numbers. In the right hands, LEGO Universe was, and still could be, an absolute gold mine waiting to be tapped. But in the wrong hands, it's a liability, threatening to damage the core LEGO brand as soon as, tone, as, soon as a tone-deaf decision by management outrages the user base. Or, if there, if there were ever even the barest rumor of a child safety breach, or in any of the million unpredictable situations where an online community can suddenly turn itself against you without warning. Everybody on the team has their private conspiracy theories about the real reason LEGO shut down the project right as it was getting its legs right as it was getting its legs under it. I think LEGO management took a sober assessment of their own unfamiliarity with exactly what MMOs are and how they work and realized they couldn't trust themselves not to steer the ship straight into the rocks. PC Gamer asks, Could anything have been done to save it? Is it too late to hope for a revival in the future? Bayhawk says, Lego's 
priority on child safety and the competing scales of the numbers involved make me think it'll be a tough it'll be tough to make the business case. It's always hard to balance pouring resources and attention into a side project with the potential to make millions of dollars when it means pulling resources and attention away from a core business that measures its revenue in billions. Judged solely, judged solely on its own merits, LEGO Universe was a fantastic project that I'll always be proud to have been a part of. Viewed in the larger context of LEGO's overall portfolio, I can't escape the mathematical inevitability of the decision to close it down. Weighing the potential profits of the product against the potential costs to the brand, I privately suspect that a kid's MMO may just always be too risky for a company with so much brand equity invested in an upcoming uh, in an up in an uncompromising reputation for child safety. On the other hand, I don't think it's likely that Lego's going to stop looking for new ways to bring the Lego experience online. The digital platform is too important not to continue making it a priority. In that regard, I expect that the experience gained across the company will end up being crucial to the development of new online projects moving forward. Even if LEGO Universe didn't reach commercial success in its own right, taking the broken pieces of earlier models and building them into something new, after all, is what LEGO is all about. And PC Gamer says, So after the game closes tonight at midnight, EST, what will you work on? Rayhawk says, there's always lots of regular Lego work to be done outside of Lego Universe, so I've been picking up illustration jobs here and there from other departments while waiting for the 2012 product cycle to gather steam. In a week or two, I'll be off to take a new position back at Lego's U.S. headquarters and rejoin the mothership, where I'm looking forward to getting back into the groove of illustrating physical products again rather than virtual ones. So I think that was a... A totally oh, yeah. cool interview, and it really it, it ended up covering a lot of the stuff that we learned while we were in Colorado that yeah, we were never really. able to talk about. You know, some of the stuff with with the castle areas and, and with the PvP, uh, where you're you know rushing to build castles and trying to knock the other person's castles down. Some of that stuff we heard about, but yeah. we couldn't share with you. So I'm very glad that this article came out and that information is out there. So. You know, you know what we know, yeah. or we knew. And we're back with the Secrets of Lego Universe podcast, and we are welcoming aboard Briggs to the final show. Hey, Briggs. Hey, guys. Um, let's play another interview. How about the one with Nick Foster? Hey, this is Secrets of Lego Universe. And this is an interview with James Foster. What do you do for your job, Nick? I'm a gameplay programmer, so I write the architecture that the designers and artists can build the game on to make all the cool features that you guys get to see. And additionally, I make some of my own features as well um, in the code that don't require much from design and art. All right. Very cool. So I've heard that you've basically done like all of the basic LU functions like bouncers, the camera system, interaction, moving platforms, smashing, pets in the pet minigame, and uh, all that awesome stuff. So what is that like? And how do you do it? Um, how I do it is 
basically writing logic that the computer can understand. So, you know, we have to tell it how to do every little thing that you see. Um, we have to tell it when you step on a bouncer, uh, which way you're going to bounce, how far you're going to go, um, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and it's very enjoyable working on a lot of the gameplay systems. Those are the things that the kids get to see the most of, I think. Um, and those are like, you know, the really exciting things. So it's very rewarding type stuff to do. Very cool. That sounds pretty complicated because that might, that must take a lot of like minor tweaks. Yeah. In fact, you know, we will, the designers will say we want bouncers in the game and we'll create bouncers and the kids go and test the bouncers and they say, oh, these are not quite that fun. Okay. What else do we need? We need we need, you know, some kind of particle to make it look like it's pointing up and we need the bouncer to be more recognizable or, or you know, there's a lot of iterations done where the first pass is not very fun and you have to make a lot of passes at it and tweaks to make it what it is in game, what you end up seeing in the final product. And the final product is pretty awesome, I have to say. So... What behind-the-scenes stuff do you normally do? I know that you told me about a couple of that. But. Um, I mean, behind-the-scenes is the architecture that you don't get to see in the game. Um, a good architecture is basically not seen by anybody because the things that are seen are the bugs, and that means that there's a problem. Um, so behind-the-scenes, I work on features um, like bouncers, quick builds, those kinds of things. Um, I work on tools that design and art can use to um, f you know, identify bugs and help them fix things more quickly, or I give them features so that they can make cool custom missions, stuff like that. So do you think that players, when they find a bug, do you think that they report it because they want it gone, or do you think they take advantage of it and do, it, do something they shouldn't? I think it depends on the bugs. Some bugs, uh, there's no way to take advantage of it. Like, it just, you know, something that just looks wrong. They'll report stuff like that. But you know, some bugs um, we've had in the past allowed you to dupe items um, to get money, stuff like that. Um, some people take advantage of it, but all we need is a few uh, good citizens to report it, and we're usually able to track it down and get it fixed. Cool. Very cool. So... What faction do you represent? What, what do you like? Uh, the first one I chose was Assembly. Um, I found that one to be really powerful at first yes. with the combination of the turret um, for the engineer, the turret and the uh, personal fortress. Those two combined, um, I, you know, you could dominate a lot of things just solo. Um, and they, they nerfed that a little bit. And so the engineer's not quite as powerful. Um, and I tried Paradox as my second character, and that's what I'm currently playing on right now. I have, like, a level 34. Um, and my Paradox character, it's a Shinobi, and it's pretty powerful, a little bit more so than the engineer, I think. Um, but there's a balance between each one, right? So with the Paradox, I can... I can regenerate my imagination, but with my engineer, I was able to regenerate my armor, which is kind of like health. Yeah. So it's easier to, you know, live longer, I guess, with my engineer, but 
it's easier to do some more damage with the shinobi. Yeah. I like the shinobi as well. So what's your favorite world that you like to go to? Uh, that's a tough one. It depends on what mood I'm in. If I want to fight, Crux Prime is the most challenging. Um, but if I just want to hang out and relax, I tend to like Nimbus Station. There's some cool little parts of Nimbus Station that are really relaxing. and The music in there, just the, the scenery and stuff like that. Yeah, I the original music that was in beta that's now only on the um, the paths that's like the best. Yeah. I really like that. So, who do you work with and who helps you with that kind of thing? Uh, right now, I'm on one of the content teams that's run by Jordan, um, who you've met, and we're currently working on um, the next content release that's going to be coming out here shortly. Um, and I'm the only programmer on the team, so most of my time is spent making sure that um, they don't get blocked by anything and they're able to continue doing their work quickly without having to stop and wait on anything. So I kind of facilitate that for them. So what's the favorite release that you guys have done that, like... Um, my favorite existing release would probably have been 1.4 when Crux Prime came out. Um, Nexus Tower release was nice too, though. Um, no combat really in it, but it's nice to have a, a big central place like that for all the factions. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So, what would you like to say to everybody that listens and everybody <clears throat> that experiences the stuff you do? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would just say to have fun and. You know, be prepared for more awesome things to come. Yeah, LEGO Universe is still just beginning, in my opinion, so I think it's going to be cool to see how it ends up over the years. Awesome. All right, thanks, Nick. Thank you. Signing out. That was pretty sweet. Nick was, Nick was really great. Yeah, Nick was a cool guy. Kingo Lego, let's start with you. What were some of your favorite things about Lego Universe? The beginning. What do you mean by that? Lego Universe starting itself. Oh, the launch. Yeah. That was really great. Anything else that you really, really enjoyed? Possibly the amount of players that just joined. Because, like, they like Lego. Alright, thanks a lot. Aaron, what were some of your favorite things about LEGO Universe? My thing is not knowing what it was when I actually got into it. <laughs> uh, oh, I did it wrong. Um, actually, we actually did. When I got into it, they, it wasn't really called LEGO Universe yet. There was no Maelstrom, there was no Evil Force, it was just to play. Wow. And I just thought that was just really fun to do. I think they should have continued with the um, the Bratferent the Bratferent Institute of Cosmic Kinesis some more, but um, other than that, yeah, it was really fun. Thanks a lot, Neil. Probably the items. As much as I loved playing the actual game, the items were wicked fun to just mess around with. Jetpack. Mm. Yes, favorite item. 
Then the worlds. I love the music a lot too. Me too. One of my favorite things about Lego Universe was really the beginning. I enjoyed it. Kind of the beta and early LU before Crux Prime, Nexus Tower. I really liked that feel more. It was much lighter, and I just thought it was a very special theme. To LEGO Universe, and it, it got much darker and with Perks Prime and all that, and I didn't... I didn't enjoy it that much after Crux Prime and the like. But, um... Nexus Tower and Crux Prime were not bad in themselves. It just kind of changed the feel of the game. Dad, how about you? What did I like the best? Well, probably... I, I like some of the earlier worlds, maybe more than some of the later ones, but... Uh, I did like some of the the ninja themed things. I thought that would I thought those things were really cool. One of the things that I liked the most about it was uh that I could share it with you and that it was a a fun game to play. And I just really I just thought the whole theme was cool. I thought it was neat the way that uh, everything in the universe was pretty much made from real, you know, you know virtual Lego bricks. Uh it was just a blast to play. It it had a really fun uh, I think the music really gave it uh either really controlled the kind of the feel of it, right? Like in, in some of the areas where the, the music was lighter, it was kind of fun to just wander around and, and have fun. And <laughs> in some of the, the darker areas like uh, Crux Prime and Ninjago, I mean, you really feel kind of the kind of a foreboding feeling just from the music. So I thought it was just really well done. Yes, it was. I love the Lego Universe music so much. Okay, let's shoot into another interview. Let's do this one from uh, Rich, Mc Rich McAllister, though. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't know if we're going to get the video for the, the interviews we did with uh, uh, with Annie and Rich. I, I'm not sure what happened to those. I, I know that the video was recorded, uh, but at least we have the audio. So let's hear from Rich McAllister, also known as Flambridge. Hello, this is Secret to Lego Universe live from Colorado, and right now I have Rich McAllister, a.k.a. Flambridge, and he is a Lego Universe partner, am I correct? That is correct. So, what is a LUP? Uh, well, LUP obviously stands for Lego Universe Partner, and basically we are individuals with uh, Lego that they have decided to help bring on and make the game better. Very cool. So what do you do as a LUP? How long have you been a part of it? I was contacted in May of this year to go ahead and come on. And my main responsibility as a LEGO Universe partner is kind of be maybe I would say kind of an intermediary person between the LEGO people behind the scenes and the players in-game. So I do a lot of contact with people at Lego, but then I also speak with players. But I can't always say everything I know from Lego to players. Right. So some of the uh, Lego Universe Partner Worlds came out pretty early, and how much did the LUP spend on that? 
I'll tell you honestly, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't around at that time. That was several years back. We are, if, if I were to say I am part of a new group of LEGO Universe partners, I know the question comes up all the time to me in-game, which world are you working on? And the answer to that question is none. And um, that, that's not taking place right now. There, there are a couple LEGO Universe partners which have been brought on. But as for right now, our main focus in-game is to go and build inspiring properties for people to come and visit and get ideas and get excited about building in LEGO Universe and uh, as well as do a lot of feedback and information to the community team to let them know kind of what's going on in the game. If, if there's bugs we find in property building, we get that information to them really quickly. We're, we're kind of like the boots on the ground. We're there to go and help them really understand uh, what's happening in-game that maybe they can't see from their perspective uh, back at the, at the development studios. Uh. So you've made some pretty awesome props. So would you like to say anything about special tips or anything about your props? <laughs> well, uh, I, th I think this, the special tip I, I would give right now, a lot of people ask me, how can I start building awesome props? How, how can I really get into it? And I think the real key to that is to go and learn the build tools first. There's a lot of build tools that are in there. You can do a lot with already is there. And so what the same instruction I give to anybody is go into your Lego collection, find uh, a, a Lego set that you really like, and then try to build that in-game. That's going to teach you where all the bricks are. That's going to teach you how to manipulate the bricks. It's going to teach you all the tools. You're going to learn cloning. You're going to learn grouping. You're going to learn everything that's there, and that's the start. I'd also say don't be afraid to think big. A lot of people think, oh, you've got this big, humongous prop. How'd you do that? Well, one brick at a time. <laughs> So, very nice. So, who do you work on with Lup stuff? Uh, well, uh, I do have some contact with Elementron. I do have some uh, contact with uh, uh, Figmentia, and I do have some contact with a another individual who is World Builder Leader. And uh, I have a lot of contact with him, and he's who I contact usually the most if I find something in-game that needs to be brought up and brought to the, to the development team over here. Very cool. So do you know of any new LUP worlds are coming? And if not, what are you working on? Well, um, I don't know of any LUP worlds coming. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll set the record straight, I'm not working on a LUP world right now. Uh, for me, I'll probably be putting out another property, maybe getting started on one here pretty soon. I am thinking of a World War II theme right now, something along those lines. I already have uh, models that I've already made in LDD um, that I'm going to be using, and so that'll be helpful. And basically just doing a big battle scene, I get a lot of comments that people want uh, they want to be able to go and interact with the property, so I'll be adding uh, some missions in there. It'll be very interactive with behaviors, uh, and that's assuming I can keep my performance level down enough to allow those things to work. Very cool. So do you want to shout out to any of the props that you've done? Uh, well, if you, if you don't know my props, my main, uh, the one I'm most known for is Siege of Batlord Towers, but I do have... Uh, I do have a couple others. I do have Flambridge Farms, which I finally got working. It shouldn't break anybody's computers anymore. 
as well as I do have a new character, which is why a lot of people haven't seen me in game a lot as Flambridge. Uh, that character's name is Flam Shady, and I just put out a prop called Search for Voyager, which features a large aircraft carrier, and um, as well as it has a whole undersea part to it. So it was a lot of fun to build, and uh, and I think you'd enjoy it if you went to go visit it. It's got a mission on it. Mm-hmm. All right, very cool. Thanks, sir. No problem. All right, talk Thanks to you later. Right. Secret of the Universe out. I gotta get- Thanks to Rich for that interview. And so right now... Are we going to talk about uh, the last things we did in LU? Sure. The last thing I I was on for pretty much the end until up to half an hour, and then Dad came up to my bedroom with a computer and showed me the ending of it. For the last few minutes of my LEGO universe, I went back to Ninja 5, which I've been since beta, and I put on my Santa outfit that from Frostburg, which is my favorite. And and I just went in the path to um, Evan Gardens, and I really like that path, and I like the music that plays in it. So, and I just took some screenshots, and I'm, I had my last few minutes of the best game ever. Yeah, so and, uh, it was really cool. There were mailboxes all over Did the place. Did y'all see the Ninjago Fire property? Oh, yes, right above. Yeah, that was like up in the sky. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was, was cool. Way up there. So I actually went out um, rocking out in... In uh, red blocks, red bricks, blocks, red blocks. I am a red brick. <laughs> I love your little. I love your character that you, you have for the, that sky thing. The red brick, the brick. the uh, yeah, the April big Fool's red brick, Day. Brickly. Oh yeah, I love that. I love that bricks. That's really cool. Okay, so before we get on, thanks to Ronnie at Lego. The Lego office is in Denmark. He's, we, we have a lot of the Lego Universe artifacts. We have hundreds of these um, Lego Universe pre-order astronaut minifigures. I don't know if it's hundreds, but it's, it's dozens at least. No, no, I think it's hundreds. But we have, we have one for you. Oh, sweet. No matter what, we, we have one for you. Um, we also have one of these amazing Lego Universe posters for you. But yeah, we need to figure out how we're going to uh, to send these out to people because it's not going to be cheap to do. So I might be willing to chip in a little bit. Okay, um, Mr. Don, did you get my if um, my parents allow message from White that I sent to you the other day? So yeah, we need to figure that that out. But if you want one of these minifigures or uh, a poster, you know, send us an email to feedback at lusecrets.com. And we'll we'll try and figure out how to do it, and uh, we'll try to uh, accommodate as many people as we can. Uh, we're probably going to be giving some stuff out at our our Lego, uh, our local. What do, what do we call it? The I'm going to call it a user group, but that's because I'm an IT geek. Yeah, it's it's our the Lego club. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, at the library, I, I do want to do some podcasting about that, but um, that's unrelated right now. I want to talk about what we're going to do with. Um, the show and some other shows at the end. And we want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast and coming to the live stream. Thank you guys so much. It's been so great. And as we go on with our show, here um, here's another swag that we'll be able to send out to a few people. Nice little Lego Universe name tag. It actually has like a launch time thing on the back of it. 
We've got a few Lego Universe stickers oh, that they sent us to. Yeah, we have a lot of Lego Universe stickers. We have one for you. One of these Lego Universe stickers. They're, they're very cool. They don't have the little sticker in the middle, but and um, we also have a few official strategy guides that we're sending out to a few people. Hmm. I think Aaron. I think Aaron needs one. Didn't you say you needed one, Aaron? Yeah, I like if I can. I'm, I'm like I want to look at Barnes and Noble because I actually have a gift card for from Christmas for Barnes and Noble. Mm. Okay. And Jamester uh, needs one. Yes, Jamester said he needs. If anybody is, oh my gosh, what are these? How many different posters do we have? Is it? Do we have two different posters or three different posters? No, we have one poster. They're not well, all the same poster. Yeah, they are. Except for those ones that we that we have for us. Oh, uh, okay. We, we have lots of those. Um, if anybody, Steam Chat Ninja Mech poster. Yes, but that's for you. Okay. We only have one. I'm sorry. I love the Ninja Mech. Two two favorite things in the universe: the Ninja Mech and Friendly Fields. I know. Oh so, yes. Okay, so um, if you wear a size. 2XL shirt. We have a Paradox shirt for you. If you wear a size 2XL shirt, we can also give you a Venture shirt. And if you wear a size extra, extra large shirt, then we have a, sh- a uh, Sentinel shirt for you. Sorry, Briggs. I, it turns out we don't have an assembly one. It's totally fine. I call dibs on the paradox. No, just kidding. I might want the sentinel. Your shirt one. size is that know. big? No, but yeah, I think they're yeah. adult shirts. <laughs> yeah, they are. Maybe it shrinks. Throwing the wash one time. Yeah. You can wear it for a night shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I do that a lot. Yeah. I have my um. I have when we got like, we pre-ordered like Lego Indiana Jones for the game, and I got like a shirt for it, and it was an adult size, so I just wear. Has a nice video game cover of Lego Indiana Jones. That was fun. I might get back into those Lego games now that LU's gone. Um, let's see. And we also have Is Lego Batman Two out? Is that the next one that was coming out? It said it said inspired by it said something about DC Universe on that. So maybe it's like a it's got kind of the same storyline. Don't know. I want I want that game though. I, I'll. <sighs> What's Lego City Stories. It's for the Wii U. Oh, okay. So I've kind of been thinking about things that that Lego could do with kind of pieces of Lego Universe. Properties. Not that they ever would, but it it would be kind of cool if they would just release the property engine and Mm. uh, just let people build properties and be, you know, just... They should have had the pre-alpha properties, the ones with no bounds. Yeah, if they re-released it, you know, if and because I guess a lot of the processing for proce- for properties happens on your machine, and rather than on the central server, is my understanding from a little bit I know about that. But uh, so yeah, they probably could make, you know, you could probably handle larger properties on your PC if you had a a strong machine. And and really build some cool stuff. So I don't know if they'd if they'd ever do that, but I just think it'd be cool if they did. Yeah, because Lego Universe Properties was the best. I I know not not many people share this opinion, but I hate LDD because um it's very blocky. It's not, and you can't set behaviors or play around in it, which you can with the Lego Universe Properties. And I loved that, and I will 
continue to love that if we if they if they put that up. I, I would be fine, I think, with just properties. So we know that, that Lego is not done with the the digital experience and trying to replicate playing with Legos in the digital world. And I think they made a lot of progress in that area with, with the properties. So I could totally see them building on that and and doing something with it. At least I hope they do. Does anybody else have any ideas of, of what Lego might do next? I mean, I don't really see them doing something on the scale of Lego Universe, at least not anytime soon, because Lego Universe was in development for years and years before it ever came out. So for them to do... Like Lego Universe 2, I mean, we, there, we wouldn't see that for years, I wouldn't think. If ever, which, you know, they, they may not ever decide they want to do something where there's uh, that type of interaction between kids in a way that, you know, may eventually not be safe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. As long as there's building, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You you have you're truly a doctor overbuild. It's overbreaks. <laughs> overbreaks. Overbreaks. That's what overbuild would say. As long as there's building, I'm good. Yeah. I love that. You need to put that you need to put that in your um Skype thing, Briggs. That'd just be hilarious. I think I'll do that right now. That's a really good idea. It was really cool at the end of Lego Universe where they sent out the um <laughs> The faction leader gear that was epic. Yeah, I I really thought it was yeah. the funnest thing. Um, I thought, and I'm so glad that they sent out those those jetpacks. Yeah, because it was so much fun to just fly around I, and and see the different areas. And I could see why they never really did it. And Elementron told us this while we were in Colorado that it it kind of breaks the game, right? You can end up in a place that you can't get out of and have to smash yourself, and you know. Things start looking weird when you get up too high or you get, you know, off the path and that kind of thing, which I guess is why they they never put it in the game until the end when it, it didn't really matter. But I just had so yeah. much fun flying around with those jetpacks. That was awesome. I asked Shivel for um, Dr. Overbuild's texture sheet, and he um, he mixed up my order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gave the arms out again, didn't he? He gave uh, me what they already gave us, and seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, oh, didn't... Oh, what I, what I asked for was the um, black top hat and um, Rusty Steel's wrench. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, Rusty I Steel have Rusty Steel's wrench. So much fun. I, I saw, I've seen so many people's with this Rusty Steel... steel eh. I love so many, I've seen so many pictures of people with lips. Rusty Steel's wrench. It makes me happy. I wanted the vampire capes that Elementron showed us. I was going to ask that for I asked, those nets. I asked I Ronnie, Ziplash's and he, helmet. he showed us the list of unreleased items, and oh, you, they had uh, faction capes anime, on there, the but I don't think zone. they were on there. So I don't, I don't know what happened they're to those all, they're capes. They're on there. They're in the eternal files we have, because I have the NIF files of them. They have them they're animated. They look okay. really cool. If I yeah, can get my... Uh, Chrome to minimize, which is not liking to minimize right now. There it goes. Minimize, yes. Um, either most recent distraction. Um, mesh, no matter. Is it K's under K's? 
Oh, Morgan. Yeah. There's a question about the that LUP I'm DVD. Tell, I'm, thing. Yeah. Okay. It's um it, the LUP DVD is a um a little like 6-minute DVD with some shorts from LUPs in 2007 at a meeting at Slaywell. So is it like an interview or something? It's kind of like an interview and um the last 2 minutes of it is just saying, "Hi, I'm like Gary McIntyre from um where is he from? I know where he's from. Give me a minute. He's from California. Sorry, Gary. He was a lup at a time. He he works at Legoland in California, actually. Well, when we're on the Steam chat with um the Lego Universe Refugees Steam chat, and Flamebridge was on there, he said something about um I think it was Figmentia from um, that gave him a sent him a exclusive employee only game disc game box. And it contained two get two discs, two discs. One was a game, and one was a CD with all the music on it. Oh, that's yeah. Really cool. He told us about Sweet. that when when we were in Colorado. Yeah. He said we should ask for one, but we never did. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because that was really cool. Ronnie is also going to be sending us the limited edition Lego Universe DVD. Oh, he is. Yeah, he said they would follow shortly. Okay. We should be getting them soon. So that may be what it is. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, if y'all get it, I'd like to see how the, um, let y'all play, listen to music and see if it's any different from what, um, Sora gave out. Yeah, yeah. Might that's be some I'm older like, tracks in there. Yeah, older tracks. That's what I'm really wondering about, like, some more pre-alpha tracks, like, um, Old Man oh, yeah. Glory Days. Can somebody put that on YouTube? I can never find it in the files. Old Man? Yes. Um, if you look at my happy birthday like universe video, it's near the end. It's, I have um old man and then um I think I had yeah, I have a GF score, the seed score. It's in one of those uh zips that Sora posted on Yeah, it's site. actually in um the I bonus. I could get track. into the zips. I could get everything yeah, when, else but not the zips. You may have to re-download them. Uh, I actually had to do that. I had one that um, ended up corrupted the first time I downloaded it, but I just downloaded it on a different machine, and I was able to unzip it. Okay, I'll try that. Cry, star, 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 cry. By the time you get done editing all the different pieces and parts of the show, it's probably going to be like two and a half hours long. Oh, it'll this be, is something that I did. But it'll um, be awesome. I changed my, my um, mouse pointers out on my computer for Lego versus mouse pointers. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it instantly brings back feelings, too. James Stur, let me see what it means. Early beta. <laughs> um, James Stur, what it was, it was, there are two GF scores, they're GF. Well, I think it's about time to wrap up this show, Pickers of Lego Universe. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do with the show. And I'll still be posting at lusecrets.com. And um, 
Also, I will try to update the pod, the um, Tickets to Play Universe feed with a couple of the shows we didn't release and um, some a uh, cup like update a couple minutes that kind of for just the view that kind of check that and not check your email or check the um, stream. You can check it in iTunes. Um, about other podcasts that we'll be doing because we love you guys and um, thank you guys so much it's been a great run thank you for um, doing the show and following it yeah and Lego did say that they will try and keep us in the loop of stuff that comes out in the future so Maybe we'll do a show about whatever the, the next big Lego digital thing is. And as we round out this final show of Secrets of Lego Universe with the credits and um, thanks to all the people that have helped us out and um, and um, guys, help me if I miss. Also, um, you can go to the affiliates page of of lesecrets.com and check out all those. So, thank you for listening to the Secrets of Lego Universe podcast. It's been a great year or so. And um, thank you so much, Neil and Aaron and Wyatt. And, um... Thanks, everybody. That was pretty <laughs> Bye. Still thanks. <laughs> I mean, I love this show. <laughs> we compiled some audio files from us and the fans about Lego Universe. I've been telling since beta. A lot of stuff has changed since then. Because back in beta, it was awesome. Finding glitches. Fighting dragons in FV, having a glitch in AG where every enemy was a turret. And then all of the. No one was mean in beta. Everyone was just trying to play the game, not be jerks or anything like now. You could steal people's drops, which wasn't. But still fun. And after live. The progress really kind of slowed, but the game never became boring. After live, really a ton more people got the game, made new friends, had a great time, parties with Murphy and all my other friends. It was great. LEU has just been probably the best game I have ever played. Meeting new people and stuff and having fun. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to me that even had to do with LU was getting drafted to go in alpha testing. When I first got it, I was like, looks at it a f- few minutes like, is that real? And then you're just like, eek! Well, you guys made games within LEGO Universe, right? You, you played hide and seek and, you know, did, did fun stuff like that, too. It was a world. It wasn't just a game. It was a world with a universe. And that's why it was called Lego Universe.
for, I was kind of skeptical when I got that email to invite for Alpha because I've never heard of it. Hey, Elementron. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I got my Alpha invite from the Bradford Grant. Then I was, was the first person, one of the first people to decode the message from Pod 2. And that's how I got invited to Alpha. You know, this uh, you know Lego uh, makes it makes sense that they have to make, and and this was one of them. So it's it's a tough call. I don't know. The whole thing was fun, except for the part where it ended. But a lot of cool stuff did happen, right? That's a lot that happened in the in the past year. It's pretty amazing the amount of content and the amount of. Uh, just fun game experience that uh, Lego Universe has given you know thousands of people in the last year. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's one of the best kids MMO games out there. I think it was awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you Elementron for for all your support of this show. I mean, it, it's been just an amazing thing that you have been. Uh, it's been so great to to work with you and to have your support. So thank you very much for that. Well, you guys were great to work with, and um, as crazy as this sounds, as I've been interviewing for new work, I uh, I was able to mention you guys quite a bit of of this great podcast put together by by uh, one of our kid players and his dad, and and how engaged you guys were with the game, and, and how much fun it was, and you know it's it, you know I don't know if it ever helps, but uh, you know it certainly was one of my more uh, memorable moments in the uh, working with Lego Universe is, is meeting you guys. I did. I just think it was an awesome Lego game that they. Uh, I'm just trying to wrap my right wrap my mind around it. It's quite. I, I'm honestly shocked that they cut it out that soon. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it was it was a lot of fun while well, while it lasted, and we had a lot of fun with all the players, and uh, you know, it's one of those things. Secrets of Lego Universe with the credit. Special thanks to our co-host, Neil S. Neely Beely, our main man, our, um, our uh, other co-host, Aaron Walk. Aaron. Aaron Walk, yeah. you totally rock. Our uh, second main man, and uh, our awesome guy who's all, who is always ready to help out in an emergency. Wyatt, 
Cellist. Thank you so much. So our guest host over the shows, Kevin G, Elementron, Drew, Artemis Stone, Mazbits, Arulian, Cold One, Super Sora Dude, Hunter Blackbrick, Brickon, Jacob H, Codex 2, Briggs, Kingo Lego, Zap Dragon Meteor, and Lloyd. And a shout out to you. Yes, you, because you are awesome. Thank you for being a fan of Secrets of Luggy Universe. We've loved this show. And we've loved the show. So thank you, everybody. Woo! You guys rock! Secrets of Luggy Universe signing out! Woo! Goodbye, explorers. Thank you, explorers. You fought off the maelstrom. Imagination is victorious.